Today's reading is taken from John's Gospel and can be found on page 1064 in the red-covered Bibles and 1647 in the large print black-colored Bibles. It's John chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked to him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Please bow your heads to pray. Come to Jesus, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and Jesus will give you rest. Place his yoke upon you, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Father, we thank you for the promises that you give us in your words. We thank you for this open invitation to all of us, all who are weary and burdened in the world, to come to you for rest. Father, as we hear your word proclaimed now, speak to us in our hearts by your spirit, that we would know true rest from your words, and we would delight to share that rest with the world. Amen. Last week, if you were here, and if you're not, then you're well, welcome to 
listen again online on our new website. Uh, but last week, you remember that uh, Emmanuel showed us that John the Baptist testified that Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen one. And Emmanuel challenged us, he challenged us to believe this testimony. And once we have believed that testimony, to be someone who, who testifies, who, who bears witness to other people about it. I wonder, how did you get on with that challenge over this last week? Perhaps in the last week, God's Spirit has been stirring in you mightily as you've wrestled with what you thought you knew about Jesus. Wrestled with, with who Jesus is and perhaps, perhaps, perhaps for the, for the first time in the last few days, you yourselves have come to believe. To know for sure that, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, God's chosen one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If that is you, then thanks be to God for the miracle that he has performed in your life this last week. If this is you, then thanks be to God. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you here today are a walking miracle. Because only God by his Spirit can bring you to faith, can reveal Jesus to you, as Emmanuel showed us from God's word last week. What do you call something that only God can do? A miracle. You are sitting among many, many miracles here this morning. Amen? Thanks be to God if he has removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh this last week. Thanks be to God if he has removed the scales from your eyes and lifted you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thanks be to God for this miraculous work of his spirit poured out among us, his people here in Surbiton. Amen. Perhaps last week you were so moved by God's love for you, by his miraculous work in your own life, that like John the Baptist, you've told someone about him this last week so that they can experience this amazing, outrageous love for themselves. If you've shared your faith with someone this last week, if you've told them that God loves them, that Jesus died to rescue them, and that by his spirit they can come into a living and active relationship with, with God. If you've done this, then right now, before I move on in my sermon, I'd like you to close your eyes and to whisper a prayer to God, asking that his holy and life-giving spirit will bring that person to new life in him. Close your eyes and pray now. And so you don't feel awkward, why don't all of us close our eyes? And perhaps if we haven't shared the love of Jesus with someone this last week, why don't we close our eyes and pray that God would send his spirit ahead of us in the next week to someone who we will talk to about Jesus, that he would bring them to life. Let's just stop right now and each of us pray, and then I'll pray for us at the end. Lift the name to God. Father, we know that you love these people we have named and are lifting before you more than we do. We know that in your love you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue them. And we know that by the power of your spirit you can and will bring them 
from death to life. So, Father, we beg you, work miracles in their lives. Give them hearts of flesh and bring them alive in you. We ask this in your Son's name and for your glory alone. Amen. Keep praying for them. Keep lifting them to the Lord. Keep showing them Jesus' love. Keep testifying. And just like John the Baptist, and pray that God would give you the privilege of witnessing him work miracles in their lives. You see, our sermon last week doesn't end with John the Baptist just testifying to who Jesus is. The, the story continues as we see that God uses his people to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. God uses his people, you and I, to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. Do have your Bibles open before you if you've closed it. Uh, we're on uh, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, uh, 35, and it's on page 1064 of the Red Bibles. Look down with me if your Bibles are open at verse 35. The next day, John was there again. That's at Bethany, the other side of the Jordan, where he was baptizing, verse 28. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. John the Baptist is, a, is attracting crowds. People are coming out to Bethany to, to hear him preach, to be baptized by him, to witness what he's doing. And some of these people are being disciplined, are being trained by him. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who is disciplined in the way of their master. Being a disciple is, a, is an active thing. It takes thought, it takes time, it takes dedication, it takes discipline. Verse 36, when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And so these two men, Andrew and uh, one other, maybe John who wrote this gospel, uh, we don't know, these two men, disciplined in the way of their master, devoted to John the Baptist, hear his words, and they what? They just up and leave him. Now, wait a minute. That can't be right, can it? Perhaps they're not so devoted to him after all. Maybe this is like a fickle football fan, you know, who, uh, who one minute they're supporting Chelsea, and the next minute it's Arsenal, depending on who's on top of the table that season. Is that what's going on here? These two men are just chasing after the next hot thing, and that now happens to be Jesus. Well, no. These are probably actually two of John's best disciples. Two who have been so devoted to him, who have so understood his teachings, who have studied what he's been saying carefully, so much so that when he finally points out the Messiah, God's chosen one, they know immediately what to do. To up and leave John and to follow Jesus. Go to the next slide, please. Look back at John chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He, that's John the Baptist, came as a witness, that word from last week, a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This tells us two things. Firstly, John the Baptist's message must have been absolutely consistent and repetitive all the while he had disciples. 
John saying, one is coming greater than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Maybe he sounded like that, maybe he didn't. Uh, and second, all of his disciples, of all his disciples, these two men, well, they got it, didn't they? And were ready and waiting for it so that when the greater one, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Lamb of God, when he finally appears, they knew what they had to do. So verse 37, they followed Jesus. In whatever sphere of life God has placed you in, whether in work or at home or in your community or with a family or in a school, in whatever sphere of life God has placed you in right now, are you seeking to draw others to yourself? To build your empire? To be obeyed as a parent? To be admired as a leader? To be loved? Or are you consistently, by your actions, in your living? Yes. But more importantly, in your words, are you pointing others to Jesus? Oh, I can't do that. You might say, I work in an office. I'd get laughed at. I'd lose friends. I'd lose credibility. I'd get mocked. I'd get told off. I'd get fired. Look, I don't want anyone to be fired. But is telling someone about Jesus at some point in your week really so dangerous, so hard? Not long ago, I worked in London in a successful recruitment firm specializing in senior and executive level IT hires into the banking sector. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? And I'd regularly tell my work colleagues and my clients about Jesus. You might have worked out by now, I'm not much of a sporting person. Uh, and so on Monday mornings, whilst everyone else talked about the match they saw the night before, I talked about the sermon I heard in church on Sunday. Or when speaking to a client or a colleague, I would sometimes say, Jesus said, or the Bible teaches, or I read that God did this thing. In the same way that they had permission to quote authors and gurus and newspapers and books that they'd read and heard. Why do we give people permission to, to share their thoughts and beliefs whilst feeling we're not allowed to share our own? Especially when we have words of eternal life. That name you prayed about earlier in my sermon, is that someone you could talk to about Jesus in this kind of way this week? Remember, God uses his people, you and I, to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. So these two men, on hearing John's words, they, they follow Jesus. They're not Jesus' disciples, not yet. They're not believers, not yet. But they trusted their master enough that when he pointed out the chosen one, the Lamb of God, they were ready to follow him. They were ready to take active steps to begin a journey of discipleship under Jesus. And Jesus, seeing them following him in verse 38, asks, what do you want? Now you can understand the question, can't you? At one level, Jesus sees these two blokes coming up behind him, and so naturally he asks, what's going on here? What are you after? But at another level, Jesus' question is deeper, isn't it? To these two men who are taking active steps to follow him, who are beginning what uh, a journey, 
It's as if he asked them, what do you want from me? What do you want from life? Jesus, the Word made flesh, God in skin, by his Holy Spirit, probes the deepest parts of our hearts and demands that we say what we really want in life. Life in all its fullness, as we saw two weeks ago, the life that Jesus offers all who believe, or something else. And so begins these two men's intimate relationship with the Messiah, the chosen one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Next slide, please. As a church here, we can run evangelism programs like Alpha or Life Explored. We can run guest events for non-Christians to come along to, like a Burns Night thing or a comedy night like we're doing in the new year. We can put on guest-friendly services here at church at Christmas and Easter and other times. We can do all these things. But do you know what the Holy Spirit uses more often than almost anything else to draw someone to Jesus? A couple of years ago, the Church of England commissioned a massive survey called Talking Jesus. You might have heard about it. The research found that 67% of non-Christian adults in England said they knew a practicing Christian. And overwhelmingly, this 67% said that the practicing Christian they knew, that's you in this room here if you believe in Jesus, that you're friendly and caring. We are good-humored and generous. That's nice, isn't it? They're positive things. Nearly 20% of non-Christians, that's one in every five people you speak to who don't believe in Jesus, say that they are open to an experience or an encounter with Jesus following a conversation about him with someone they know. One in five people you speak to who don't know Jesus are open to an encounter with him because of your conversation with them. That same percentage, one in five, say they want to know more about Jesus. Okay, it's time for a quiz. Are you ready for a quiz? Maybe. Okay. Uh, put your hands up when I get to a number that you agree with. So, uh, next slide, please, Nina. Of people who become, not just yet, wait there. Of the people who become Christians, what percentage said growing up in a Christian family was a key influence to coming in faith? So what percentage of people say growing in a Christian family was key to them coming to faith? 50%? Hands up, 50%? One hand, two hands, feels like an auction. Three hands. Uh, what about 40%? Who says 40%? A few more. 30% of people became faith from being a family. 20%? Oh, I'm desperate to know what the rest of you think now, but I'm not going to ask. Uh, next slide, please, Anna. 41% of people come to faith from growing up in a Christian household. If you are a parent or a, or a godparent or a grandparent, you have a massive influence over the people who come to faith in later life. What about people attending a church? So how many people said attending a church service was a key influence on them coming to faith? They came to faith, they came to church as not a Christian, and overcoming church over time became a Christian. 40% hands up. Oh, more hands there. 30%? Okay. 20%? 10%. 28% of people 
came to faith, next slide please now, uh, came to faith from attending church regularly. Just being amongst us, uh, listening to us, sharing lives, singing songs, hearing the Bible, came to faith. God used that. What about reading the Bible? Okay, so who came to faith reading the Bible? 40%? Ah. You could have just let me carry on, could you? Okay. Next slide, please, Anna. So, wrong way around. 27% reading the Bible, 28% from attending church. Okay. What about having an experience of the love of Jesus? No, I don't think I've got this on the slide. So, what percentage said having an experience of the love of Jesus, so something in their life brought them to faith? What would say? Uh, 40%? So, these aren't Christians, they're just something's come over them. 30%? 20%? 10%? Twenty-four. Keep it there, Nena. Twenty-four percent of people said having some experience of the love of Jesus, which might be through other Christians or just His Spirit, brought them to faith. Okay, uh, and seventeen percent uh, said an unexplained spiritual experience brought them to faith. So now the big one: what percentage said having a conversation with a Christian was a key influence on them coming to faith in Jesus? We'll start the biddings at fifty percent. Who thinks fifty percent came to faith from a chat with someone? What about 40%, 30%, 20%, okay, some people don't think that works, 10%, okay, 36%, next slide please, 36% of people came to faith because they had a chat with a, non, with a Christian, isn't that encouraging? Remember, God uses his people to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. So let's be brave now, church, for a moment, uh, I'd like you to raise your hand now, if you came to faith because you chatted to or you knew a non-Christian who over the years of love helped you to find Jesus. Hands, raise your hands. We are important people in the lives of the world around us. Brothers and sisters, What does the Holy Spirit choose to use more often than almost anything else to bring people to a relationship with Jesus? You. God uses his people to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. Again, think back to that person you prayed about earlier in my sermon. The Bible says all people of the world are stumbling in the dark trying to find God. But yet God is not far from any one of them. Part of the reason that God is not far from them is because God lives inside you, if you believe. And you are near them, so God is near them. Remember, God uses his people to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. Could you be the person God uses to draw someone to himself? On hearing about Jesus, the Messiah, God's chosen one, the Lamb of God, the first thing, the first thing Andrew does is run and tell his brother. This is such good news that he had to tell someone he loved most. He didn't just tell him. Do you see that? Look down. John says, Andrew brought his brother, Simon Peter, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your work colleagues, tell loved ones about Jesus. Tell them. And then find ways to bring them yourself into a relationship with God. As a church, we want to help you do this. That's why we put on guest events. That's why we uh, put on courses in January. That's why we ask you to bring people along at Christmas. 
But there are things that you can do right away. Ask them to read one of Jesus' biographies, the Gospels, with you. Ask them. I was reading the uh, Gospel of Luke with a non-Christian last year, and by God's grace, he's now a believer. Not because of me, but because of his word and his spirit. Ask them regularly what you can be praying for them. And then say, well, can we pray right now? And pray with them. I've never had a non-Christian say to me, no, you can't pray for me. Never happened. When you invite them to come over to your home, don't stop your normal Christian routines, but invite them to join in your prayers at the meal table. Invite them to be part of your dinner table Bible discussions if you have them. To listen to you as you read stories to your Christian, to your, to your children. I always ask my non-Christian sister to read the Bible stories to our children when she comes to visit. And she loves it. And she's hearing God's word. I was speaking to someone, I think from this church the other day, who said that another Christian has recently joined their office. And so they've started praying together in their office at lunchtimes in front of everyone. Isn't that a wonderful witness in that workplace? What great fellowship for them. Remember, God used his people to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. That's you and me. So brothers and sisters, share the love of God that drew you to his chosen one. Why? Why would we share Jesus? Why would we tell others about him? Because if you know him, you don't need me to tell you this, if you know him and you know of his love, why wouldn't you? Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen one, the Lamb of God, the anointed one. And whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, Jesus rules right now the whole universe. Right now, you are living under Jesus' rule and authority, whether you believe it or not, it's true. But more than that, Jesus is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, verse 29. Jesus is the complete culmination, the coming together of all our hopes of this world in one person. Remember, he brings life to its fullness, as we saw two weeks ago. Whatever you're chasing after, whatever you're seeking for, for happiness, for joy, for love, it's all meaningless without Jesus. It really, really is. Jesus gives us life to its fullness by giving his life for us. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God, the conquering warrior who comes to destroy all God's enemies as prophesied about. He is the Lamb of God who sacrifices himself so that all who believe in him, everyone in the world who believes, will have the punishment due to them for their sins against God removed. The Bible teaches that God will one day judge everyone, including all of us, for every wrong thing they have done against him, when we call this sin. But if you trust in Jesus' death, if you trust that that was absolutely, completely, perfectly enough to cover you, to cover your punishment, then you are free. Free to enter paradise forever when you live this, leave this earthly life. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet who ought to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of God if you believe this. 
But if you don't trust in Jesus, or you know someone who doesn't, then you'll have to pay that punishment yourself. Turn for a moment to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a verse we know well. But read on to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is so clear on this. Jesus is the Lamb of God who has completely and utterly taken away the sins of the world, your sin and mine. That's the most wonderful truth there is. By his death on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago, every wrong thing we have ever done and ever will do has been completely paid for, atoned for in Bible speak, if, if you believe in his name, if you trust in what Jesus has done for you, if you have faith that Jesus is God's chosen one. Turn forwards to Chapter 12, verse 32. Here, God speaks from heaven to a crowd around Jesus. And Jesus says this, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And John adds in verse 33, Jesus said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus being lifted up, being exalted on the cross to die, becomes the moment in history that draws the whole world, the whole universe to himself. Drawn to be condemned or drawn to be embraced by his nail-pierced hands in our place. Brothers and sisters, remember God uses his people, you and me, to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to be brave, to be generous, to offer those people God has placed you among the greatest gift in the universe, to offer them the chance to have a relationship with the God of the universe himself. Brothers and sisters, remember God uses his people, you and me sitting here, to draw others to his chosen one, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Share the love of God that drew you to his chosen one. I pray that God's spirit goes ahead of us all this week as we do his work. Amen.